what's up we got some music going anyways this is byron horton with the white dog experience podcast appreciate you guys tuning in and uh giving this one a listen pretty good episode kind of goes with what's going on right now as far as like scouting season is concerned uh mike talks a a little bit about some summer glassing pretty cool public land buck encounters i think you guys are going to like this episode um we do have some some big news as far as for you guys or guys falling you know our brand and what we do um and and that is uh we have a discount code with lone wolf custom gear and that code is w-e-x-p enter that at checkout it'll take a small percentage off your purchase all the items um so that's huge obviously you know if you're gonna invest in some mobile hunting gear might as well invest in the best yes i said that listen to another podcast the other day they recommended one of the hawk hangouts are you crazy i'm just kidding anyways as for the group, as for the team, you know, summer scouting, I'm I'm getting out maybe once a week, once every 10 days doing some glassing. Had a really good glassing night. Oh, this was Sunday evening. And I really like Sunday evenings for glassing. It seems like there's less people on the roads. Uh, Friday, Saturdays, I, I feel like I catch more people, just busier roads or whatever, just going to do things. Sunday evening, uh, the temperatures dropped to like 75 degrees for like the first time in two weeks here in Ohio. And uh, I saw a decent amount of deer, I think 30, 30-ish deer. I didn't drive super long, um, but was able to get out. Saw one debatable shooter. Um, I talk a little bit about it on the episode, but like it's one of those that you kind of don't want to see. Um, just like you kind of don't want to see tweener bucks when you're hunting. Um, you know, I see this deer and I'm like, ah, he might be a shooter, but I'd rather just see a dinker. Or see a good one and invest more time and figure out what's going on versus like this is one of those like in between bucks. But you know, trying to get out as much as I can. Dave's struggling uh, his side business, keeping him sidelined from getting some trail cams out. But he's got to do that. Got to do the family thing. So other than that, guys, enjoy the episode. We'll see you. All right, welcome back to the Whitetail Experience podcast. This is your host Byron Horton, and I have one of the Whitetail Addiction guys on. One of the guys from Ohio. Uh, Mike Grenier, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Mike and I have had lunch one time, but we know each other through uh, Justin, who you guys have heard speak, um, Heath as well, and and just uh, uh, one of these addiction guys getting it done on a high level and and definitely has a mobile hunting type perspective, has chased some deer on public land. Uh, Definitely a guy I'm wanting to talk to on this show. Um, Mike, could you give us just like a, a, a quick cliff notes of kind of who you are, where you're from, and, and talk a little bit about some of your bow hunting history? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, my name's Mike Renier. I'm from Michigan uh, originally, moved to Ohio. Um, I was about 12 years old, so I uh, cut my teeth uh, bow hunting here um, in central Ohio. Um, mostly public land to start out with, actually. Um, so, I mean, I, I learned a lot from, from public land hunting and then, um, you know, start, start getting into, um, you know, bigger chunks of private land uh, leasing and stuff like that. And then just kind of yeah. took the station off from there. But um, most of my hunting has been uh, South Central Ohio. Um, and then now, now I've actually ventured down into the South, like the Southern part of the state. So okay. down near the river, pretty close. So so Mike, you, you moved here. Uh, talk to me about your bow hunting involvement in whitetail addictions. Yeah, so um, I got involved with whitetail addictions uh, the second go round of the show. I believe it was 2011 or 12. Um, 
when they did the second round of the DVDs and, and that that sort of thing. So I had a couple of good friends that were on on the staff, um, and then um, you know became with all the guys doing the show. And then uh, me and actually Troy Pottinger from um, Idaho, we shared an episode um, back in, in the first. It'd be the second round of the show, and then. And then um, stayed in touch with all the guys. All of us know each other. Uh, we a lot of us did the next buck outdoors thing after Whitetail Addictions. Uh, me, Just Barrett, or Dottie, um, Troy was on there. <laughs> um, Heath was on there. I'm pretty sure. And um, so Steve Pinkston as well. So a bunch of did the next buck outdoors thing as well. And then um, you know we were always loyal, loyal guys. And then um, we always said if the show comes back on. Um, you know, we're jumping wherever, whatever we're doing. So it was kind of just finest time until white donations came back. So now were we you all... like, Justin told me the story of when he met you, you guys were at a gym and you were wearing an Ohio big buck club shirt yeah. and you just don't, you, you know, when I see somebody with that logo on the truck or, or that shirt, that's, I, I, I know it's a higher than Pope and young level to get in that club. It's, it's a very distinct thing. Like uh, talk yeah. to me about that. How old were you? And, and was that the book that like launched your addiction, if you will? It, it absolutely was. So that's a, that's a funny story. It's not, not too many people know that story, but yeah. Um, me and Justin were working out and I was, you know, I was 19, I think 20 years old. And I killed a deer in the upper sixties actually. Wow. Um, yeah, it was my first, it was my, uh, yeah, it was my first big buck that I, I actually filmed that hunt too. Um, I got the whole thing on film and I, I cannot find the footage to this day of my life. But um, yeah, I filmed that thing. I heard a grunt and I grunted back. No, I really no idea what I was doing back then, you know, and yeah. that thing came underneath. I, I stood at, at 10 yards and shot him and he ran off. But yeah, and then so, of course, being a 19 year old, I had to buy the the Ohio big box shirt, the 160 class. And I oh, trust me, if I shoot one, I'm buying a decal <laughs> and a and a hat. I was so proud of that shirt. I I don't know where it is. I wish I still had it, but man, I, I love that thing. But yeah, so one day I was wearing it. He saw it. We just struck up conversation, and um, we actually lived really close to each other, three miles from each other, something like that. So we just became really good friends, and and um, he actually helped helped me along the way with taking my addiction to the next level. I love. Okay. You know, I love taunting. I love being out there. Just, you know, young, you don't put the pieces together yet. Um, and, and, and I, frankly, I couldn't get enough of it. You know, it was just one of the things that I, I wanted, wanted whitetails more and more and more and more and more. I was reading and studying and watching everything I could, buying everything I could just to try to get more information on it. So him, uh, him already being six, somewhat successful in it, you know, having a bunch of kills on his belt and stuff at that point, I just yeah. naturally, you know, let me ask this. Um, would you say like there was a few major sticking points from, from, from Justin in those first couple of years that, that really you think opened your eyes and, and kind of, you know, helped you get down that learning curve? Yeah. So he was already, um, he already knew. Um, so he, he did the first go around the white toe addictions. I think it was 04 and 05 mm -hmm. when I met, uh, I believe it was 06 is when him and I met. So he was already involved with those guys and um, you know, he introduced, the, to the the lone wolf portal at the time yeah um so i got out of there then the whole concept of staying of being mobile and and uh hanging hunts and stuff like that um really is what i guess into me what he hunted and it just you know instantly uh, i wanted to learn about it and wanted more of it stuff like that because i was still doing the, 
you know, the ladder stand, the, um, um, you know, the, the climber, if I was mobile at all back yeah. then, drive to the quad, drive with your quad to the top of the climb thing and put your climber up and, you know, that, that whole mentality, you know, or, yeah. you know, you oh. go out there and hang a, hang a, hang a, um, a stand, you know, a 50 foot or 12 foot ladder you just bought from Walmart and then you go hunt it that day for the next day kind of thing, you know, so that's yeah. what I would do. And it should be pointed out because, well, you're not, you're, you're actually not that much older than me, but like, if you rewind to the time when you're 19, like this information, you had to go to the better forums of the web to really find what I call like good deer hunting information. The, the podcasts weren't there. The, uh, the, oh, um, Hill Country Bucks was a DVD I bought back in, the, you know, that, but I bought that like, outdoors, yeah. 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 But that, you know, some of that stuff wasn't, wasn't easily at your fingertips and, and guys today definitely have a quicker learning curve to what I call like better information. Absolutely. Back then it was just nothing but what I call the Wacom stack and DVDs. You know, you, you have all your real trees and, and the bigger stuff. And it was just literally guys hunting these private ranches and they're killing deer every time. Like, Man, how is that so easy? Cause yeah. it was going out there and I could. And I mean, let's face it, my first 168, I mean, I didn't know the deer was there. I didn't know he lived there. He happened to walk by me. I had a bow in my hand. I shot him kind of thing. Yeah. I thought I killed like a one four kind of deer, you know, I didn't yeah. know. I caught my buddy's, my buddy's dad who got me into it kind of thing. And I was just like, I just shot a good buck, you know, he's like, well, how big do you think it is? I'm like, I don't know, like 140 inches. And then we went back and watched the footage on his TV. I still remember. And he was like, Mike, I don't think you realize what you just killed. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I was just as happy if it would have been a 140 or a 170, you know, it didn't matter to me, but so. Okay. But was, um, have you always carried a camera then, or is that just something that, that, that you started and, and how much do you, do you like the aspect that Whitetail Addictions is solo filmed? Yeah. So um, I have, so the first two years I hunted, I didn't carry a camera. Something intriguing about the camera to me. I remember going to Gander Mountain, just buying the cheapest camera arm I could when I, when I bought that first big one. And um, I just wanted to film, film deer and film my hunts and stuff. And so I was telling this stuff to people like, man, I'm seeing all this stuff and trying to show them kind of thing. That's how that started for me. But yeah, I've been carrying a camera since, oh, I mean, it's been like 05, 06. I killed that deer in 05. So, yep. And I met Joe a year after that. Yeah, I've been carrying a camera since 05. So, yeah, and it's, it's been with me ever since. I mean, it's just kind of part of who I am in the woods. You know, it's weird that I can go out. It's not with, you know, from Del hunting or something, but. Yeah. Okay. It. Yeah. That's cool. Um, have you ever, have you ever had somebody filming you or are you strictly like a solo film type of guy? Cause you're on a mission at that point. Yeah. 90% of the time I'm solo filming just because it's so hard to get schedules lined up. And mm -hmm. typically my buddy would be self filming or who would be filming me or hunting themselves. It's rare that you find a situation where you're both tagged or one's tagged out and and then you can hunt with them. But no, we, I definitely, I've, I've filmed Justin's, uh, I've filmed a few of his kills. Okay. Um, he's done two of my kills over the years. Yeah. Okay. So we've definitely met with each other. Um, I think, I don't know, four or five, six times we've been in a tree together when, when the other one's killed. So we've, uh, we've definitely had some success, but we're both hunting typically. So yeah. it's rare that, you know, one of us is tagged out and the other one has the, the, the time, you know, yeah. because you know how it is. Do you, I know, sorry, Mike, do you normally oh, go out of state? Um, 
to to one of the neighboring states? I know Justin always goes to Illinois as kind of his his go to. Do you tend to travel? That the Ohio being a one buck state, I know um, that could you know a guy like yourself who's doing this at a high level, you may need to pick up another tag. Do you normally go somewhere? Yeah, I do. I do. I um, I've been out of state now ten years in a row, uh, going somewhere. So been to Iowa. Actually, I got an Iowa tag this year, so I'll be in Iowa again this year. It'll be my second trip there. I've been to Kansas five or six times. Okay. Um, yeah, I've kind of been been around anywhere. I got an, an elk tag this year too. So that's what I thought. Um, yeah, I, th- I I thought you had a September elk trip plan, and then you have an Iowa tag. I mean, whew, that's a big year, man. Yeah. Yeah, it could be a big year, so I'm excited. So, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I got that. I got that coveted Iowa tag, man. It's it's not easy to get hooks. So, Finn is the last round hunted Iowa. So I had four points built up. So um, I drew, and actually my tag just came in the mail. Yeah, Saturday. Nice, so, nice. So it, I guess let's transition. It is late July right now. What is like if you look at your whitetail calendar? You know, what are you doing or what are some of your target goals here in the next 15-ish, maybe even 20 days out? Um, that wraps into like, you know, mid-ish August. I, I, I think we blink and, and it'll be here for, for some guys listening to this. Um, if anybody's going out west, you know, a lot of those seasons kick off in September. I'm going to maybe go to Kentucky yeah. for two days. What What's on your whitetail calendar right now? Um, so I, I try to stay out of the timber. Um out of my food plot areas pretty much. But um, so I've been maintaining, I, I've been mowing a couple of food or potential food plots. Um, and then um, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to get back in there and mow it again, spray it. Um, I got about two acres on it in the end of August. So next 15 days, I'm going to mow them, spray them so they're dead. And then I'll probably till them up right on August 15th, somewhere so, around there. So what, I guess, what are you planting here in August? What's uh, your, your fall food plot of choice? So, man, every year I, I go back and on it. I have really good luck with some kind of turnip um, mixture, turnip beets, radishes, something like that. But last year I planted, um, I planted a variety of and uh, inner wheat um, stuff like that, and it, it did really, really well. It was really hardy, and and, uh, and the deer ate it through. I mean, they ate it to the ground about January one, but it lasted until so. And I always have clover, um, so I, I got about two. On the one farm I'm talking about in particular, I got about two and a half acres out the plan, two two and a half acres somewhere on there. And the, okay, the now, now I noticed you said you're staying out the timber, you're not hanging tree stands. Is that because I, I know yeah. you you hunt a, a couple of farms and, and you cover some ground? Is that because you are pretty mobile? I guess what would you say your percentage of sits are out of like pre-hung stuff versus mobile hunts? So I do a lot of hunk stuff, to be honest. I do have a couple of stands that I've left up in the woods over the years that I've, I've killed out of actually that are um, in pretty good spots. But man, it seems like I'll always end up pulling those sets and hang them somewhere else because I saw something else that I needed to see over here or over there. And, you know, this, you know, maybe a scrape pops up here or something like that. But what I do is, is hang and hunt kind of stuff. I mean, I stay out of the timber typically until the end of October. Um, and then I go in where I know or, you know, those scrapes I found in the, um, especially where I hunt, um, I, I put a lot of emphasis on the scrapes. So I go in on the scrapes I found back in March and February when I did my winter scouting. Mm-hmm. I'll go in there. I'll go in there uh, in late October, and, and you can almost guarantee that that buck that I'm trying to kill probably I'm more than likely was on him one of those few nights, you know, the 25th, 26th, all the way through November 1st, somewhere around there is when I get them scrapes really hard. 
Okay, so you start hunting scrapes hard the the twenty fifth ish, not so much um, sooner as far as that twentieth time frame. Like I feel like you start really seeing stuff start to pop up as far as the fifteenth of October, you know. But but if you yeah. listen to uh, oh the Exodus Trail Cam podcast, it comes to mind. Now, obviously, those guys run a trail cam company, and and they really talk about the twenty fifth through the thirtieth is is a different. Yeah. It's way different than you even say October twenty third. Yeah. Is is that what you're seeing as well as far as your history? Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that over the past, you know, few years or so. Um, I just stay out of timber. And then, uh, yeah, it just seems like they light up, man, the 25th October. Um, I, actually, two bucks in particular I'm thinking of. I mean, they were just not active. And then, boom, it's like almost to the day, um, you know, a year they were active in the same, on the same scrapes. So. Yeah. Are you, obviously, you, you probably have some trail cam data as well as visual observations and, and actually some success, it sounds like. Um, do you find scrapes are a morning, evening, or either-or type of game as far as that 25th through the 30th? Man, if you could, I mean, I mean I've, I've been hunting them all day. I like, you know, go in there in the morning. Um, or first I'll go in there in the evening, hang the set, hunt it then, come back in the, uh, the next morning, hunt it, and then, um, if it's pretty active in there, I'll stay all day. Cause I mean, I've definitely seen those bucks hit them throughout the day. So, um, yeah. I think morning and evening for sure. I know a lot of guys don't hunt, hunt mornings until a little bit later on even, but once you hit that, I mean, you could even have luck in, in that, you know, middle October in the mornings and look at Justin's hunt last year. And I know Cody's had a lot of success with it too. Yeah. Um, um, but you know, for me, as soon as it hits that 25th, I, I mean, I'm in the timber 20, okay. uh, 25th the first i'm in the timber if i can sit all day i'll sit all day if i have the time a lot of times i'm not taking my vacation then so it's mm-hmm. like it's hit when i can do it like on weekends at that point but yeah now i know this because i edited your your film that comes out thursday on the lone wolf custom gear youtube channel you were you had a pretty decent lead early october i want to say when you had the buck um oh coming out to the hay fields wasn't it opening Opening day? That was opening weekend. I hunted that deer opening weekend. Yeah. He was showing some vulnerability. Um, man, he, he was funneling through this this huge finger. Um, it, I mean, it went all the way down the creek and just, and just funneled up. And um, I watched him do it uh, like four nights, um, four nights in a row before season came in, actually. So I was out there glassing at the field edge, saw him doing it, and then I went in there. Didn't see him opening opening night. And then um, I went back in two days later and almost killed the deer. So I went in there with my bow, wanting to, you know, Big South was still my target buck. But, I mean, this was a 116-inch 10-pointer. So it was, it's hard for me to, you know, turn away from that, you know. You, you, I mean, I haven't killed enough 116-pointers. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, it's funny. I listened, and, and obviously I talked to Justin on the regular, and I heard today him talk about, and I, I think this is a whitetail addiction trend, is to find – multiple bucks to target and it sounds like obviously if you look at your 2019 season you had that 10 and tell tell the audience because they don't know how big was big southie uh he was 192 inches is what he ended up end up scoring so i had him in 18 and then 19 he came back and yeah he turned into an absolute giant but i always have a plan b because the year before that um my plan a which you'll see on the on the on the show on Thursday, 175 inch kind of deer. Um, I had him at 20 yards and he me messing with the camera actually. So, 
Um, and then I ended up killing a buck, a plan B buck on my farm, 155 inch deer. Um, I don't know. It was two weeks later, I think. So, so yeah. if I didn't so, have that plan B, I mean, Mike, how would you say, is, is, like you just had mentioned glassing, you were glassing, you know, the couple of days prior to season. Is that you, that with trail cams kind of your go-to, find as many shooters as you can? And obviously I know you're always Absolutely. working on access. Yeah, access is huge for sure, man. You can never have enough farms. Um, and then, yeah, absolutely. Uh, trail cameras, um, trail cameras, and then uh, glass. And then I, I, I try to do a lot of glass. And if I can, sometimes it's, it's tough. Um, but, you know, if I have a bean field in the area, a lot of the stuff I hunt, um, I always have crops around. It's, mm -hmm. it's limited because there's so much big timber. And then a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of farming is cattle farming down down by where I'm at. So there's a lot of cattle farms. So it's hard to hard to glass some of those deer. But if I can, I found Big Southie last year in a bean field, and then um, that other big buck, my number two buck last year. Um, I called him the blue pen, but he uh, yeah. So he was working that that hay field. So um, or that you know just it was just cut into. I mean the farmer just cut it for his cattle. That's all it was. So it was essentially just grass that was grown in in Yeah, and let so, me ask yeah. you about this. Because me and my buddy Jake Bush, who's, who's been on the show, we've been talking because um, I've been able to glass almost like once a, once a week here the last three, three weeks, and he's out yeah. a lot more. But we noticed um, it just seemed like literally this week the deer have, have switched from being in hay fields and alfalfa to, to now being in the beans a little more. Is, do you, is that a transition you see somebody with a little more experience than, than say, myself? Yeah, yeah, I for I for sure do. Unless unless one of the others not around, like that particular farm I'm talking about, there are there are no beans around. Yeah, the only farming is is cattle farming right there. So, but um, but if there was a bean field, I I almost guarantee they're on it right now. Yeah, I, I find all my, in July. I find all my bucks in bean fields. I mean, to a T. So. Okay. Okay. Cause you, and it, for the listeners, just to give them a little background, like you've hunted any, everything from like heavy farm grounds of, of, we'll call it uh central South, Southwest Ohio to, to now you're more of an, a, uh, a timber dominant habitat. There are some, Oh, and I, I don't know the exact block you're in and I don't want to talk counties or anything, yeah, but yeah, I know, yeah. I know you're in a section of Ohio. That's not exactly like the ag rich area. Um, Oh, or like the perfect combination that kind of looks like Iowa where it's like finger draws of timber meets ag land. Like, no, you're, you're more in, in what I call like the big timber, the big woods stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's big woods where I hunt now. Um, there are, there are some scattered crop fields around, but um, only you're mostly just big timber. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I started in uh yeah, just it was all farm, mainly all farm grounds. So. Yep. So, Western. so glassing. I know you your your farm and the places you hunt are, are a pretty big haul from where you live. Um, are you just going on weekends when schedule allows, or do you look at the forecast like, well, when did I go? Like two nights ago when that rainstorm came in at like five o'clock, and like it was seventy five yeah. degrees for the first time and ever. I saw like thirty five deer. It was great. Like I saw a couple yeah. tweener bucks that might be shooters, but. The ones you don't want to see because you're like maybe it's worth a little more investigation. I, I I'd rather just see one and go no he's a dink or oh yeah he's a slammer. I, I this this deer floats the line. I even got video footage and and my buddy Dave said I I don't know he might be he might not be. But how do you you know schedule your glassing missions um, in the summer? Yeah, so I do have some farms that are closer to where I live as well. Some leases, so 
I'll um I'll try to glass those throughout the throughout the summer if I can uh, throughout the week I mean and then mainly my myself um that's farther away yeah it's just just getting kind of stuff so it's it it can be very hit or miss but but here here's the difference is if, if you do find those bean fields on those big on those big country or those big country more than likely you're gonna find good bucks on it you know just because they they all kind of seem to congregate to those those few fields and they all tolerate each other at that point like that night that i saw big southy i found him in that bean field he was with another deer that was probably 155 inches or something like that which i yeah. never saw again i like forgot a picture of that deer he never showed back up and it was as a crow flies eighth a mile from my farm so yeah now you had a point you and i were talking glassing this has been easily over a month ago um and you had a pretty good tip about once you you kind of locate a buck, you know, you kind of have a a, a method or a thought behind not necessarily uh, um, showing up there every night. You know, you, you, you oh, yeah. a little bit about, you know, your, your, your thought there. Well, I mean, just give just look at big, big Southie, for example. So I, he was there in 18, didn't find his sheds in the winter. I knew he made it. I found his core area, um, which all that's in, in the show. Um, filmed all that. I knew that buck made it. I knew that buck lived there, but I didn't get a picture of him. And this was, um, the end of July when I finally found him, middle of July, something like that. I knew he was close. I saw him one night and then I didn't go look for him again. You know, I didn't even want to go look for him again. Cause I knew everything. I, I mean, I, I knew he was there, but just, I got that confirmation. Okay. He's here. He's not far. He's lived there. This doesn't need to come to me yet. And I don't know, it was probably two, three weeks before he shut his velvet. He showed up like clockwork, just like he did the year before. So now I think a lot of guys and, and even including myself would be like, okay, I saw him once. I, I might check on him a time or two again, but, but, um, you know, you brought up the point, like the last thing you want is to kind of show another hunter where he is, you know, or, that's or bring it. attention that's, to that, the area. There's two parts of it for me for, so that's the first part of it. Um, and then the second part of it too is, is you can even see in the velvet footage um, that, that you have on or, or, or that we got on the, on the show, their episode that he's already standing, you know, but when I first found him, he was laying down. So in that moment, he went on high alert. As soon as my truck came to a stop, that deer went on high alert. He stood up. Every deer was looking at me as soon as he stood up. So I was like, Nope, I'm good. I got what I needed. I'm out. Yeah. And then I didn't, you know, I, I would drive through there sometimes because I it's I mean I have to drive on that road to to get to where I'm going a lot of times. I would look, but I wasn't doing a whole lot of stopping. You know, I just wanted to make sure that he walked there, you know, that he wasn't getting freaked out or, or what. But I mean, they'll tolerate a lot that time of year or this time of year, you know. But I don't think you're gonna do harm on them, but why even why even chance it, I guess, you know. You laugh. I, I got what you laugh, man. There is a, I can't stop. Like my vehicle, if I stop on one piece of public, those deer just straight stare at you at like 300 yards. Um, yeah. And, and I've had another piece that, that maybe they, they get a little more road traffic and you know, they really don't seem to care, but, but I do, I, I have wondered uh, about this too. If I can find maybe a couple secluded fields, if it would be worth an evening, essentially sitting in a tree stand like maybe one or two sticks high because that that field that bean field isn't visible from the road because on that piece of public it just seems like the road traffic bothers them more 
Yeah, so I, I used to do that a lot on when I hunted public, man, that awful lot. I mean, I spent hours and, and days doing that. I would hike back in on some of that public. Um, and, and, and even I think some of the public you that you currently hunt and have hunted, you know, we've talked to talked before about it. Um, I used to, I used to do a lot of that. I'd hike back in, I'd sit on field, I'd just bring a chair with me and just, <laughs> and just film and see, but you know, looking back on it now, you know, I mean, I know I was educating deer doing it for sure, but you know, they do get a lot of, a lot of walking pressure on them trail, try to stick to the main trails if I could, just sure. because they're used to hikers, they're used to bikers, they're used to people a lot more than like say a 500 acre track of private if you did it on you know per se. yeah and but, you probably learned yeah, a no, lot of, you probably learned a lot being on that piece like that in the summer like you know just kind of connecting some dots i gotta think oh absolutely yeah i've almost killed a couple really good deer on public um that i had watched i you know i go out there every night and I mean open a day I almost killed two really really good bucks open a day I got footage of them over the years but one was um yeah I had him at 10 yards and um I, it, I only shot a half was a frontal shot and I wasn't going to take it you know um but I mean that deer was in the 60s I think and then I was chasing um um I was chasing a giant eight pointer there next the following year if he made it um I never, never did find him again but I think he, he might have pushed for that state very close to it at the time. Yeah. Since then, it's broke again. But, who, I mean, who knows? He, he was an absolute giant. And yeah. I almost had that deer. Now, you broke up a little bit. My, I, don't, I, I just want to make sure my audience heard that. You know, you chased a potential record book eight on a piece of public. Um, yeah. yeah. Can I back you up to the, the, the 160 10 point? Um, how did you find that deer? Cause I think I've heard just like bits and pieces. And then, um, uh, I'd love to hear how you, you set that stand to create that 10 yard encounter. Can, can you kind of elaborate on that story? Cause I think my audience would love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the public deer, you mean? Yeah. On, yeah. The one the was, yeah. He was actually a nine point. I call him Erlacher cause he was a big five by four. I saw I, I uh it was a cool he was an awesome buck man I found him on Oops. public um back when I used to hunt that area so it was um um I actually had a, a, a rare I guess um way to get in there so I had some private that I could access the public so I had I had an advantage there um uh, but yeah he was in some one of those secluded bean fields and uh, I located the deer through trail camera actually putting out I'd walk with my backpack on and I'd walk Oops. oh no found this deer and then uh, I couldn't find him again for a while and then um there was a couple CRP fields right outside the CRP fields they planted um they they planted um it was all in, in beans it was probably a 10 acre field that was secluded in beans I found this deer about I finally relocated about a week before season out there at night I remember every night I watched this deer I watched this deer I watched this deer found them and I pinpointed where that deer came out, man, to a T. And it's like every night, same trail. It was like one or two trails. I waited till I had the right wind in the opening night, um, or I pinpointed exactly what tree. Opening night, I went in there, hung that set. Got in there super early. It was a Saturday. It was always Saturday in Ohio. Yeah. Um, pinpointed that tree, and um, I almost killed that deer. But it was a textbook, you know, bedding, defeating, um, still on the beans, the beans weren't turning yet. You know, you, you have a few days in that early, uh, early season before they turn, you know, before they get, before they get, you know, before they start turning brown, then deer like them. But 
yeah, yeah. so I, I almost killed that deer so you had glassed him or what kind of habitat was he coming out of or, or where was he essentially spending it where was he betting him yeah so uh it was, it was over bottom piece is what it was and um on the river bottom there was a big a big crp field um okay. so the state was on there it was, it was state property it was all public so it was it planted um this big crp field probably 20 acres and i could glass both sides of it so there was woods there was river and then the other two sides of it um was crops one was corn and then the other side was beans and um, I located that deer off trail camera and then named them and all that stuff. And, and um, I was super excited about the deer because I thought, I'd, you know, I, you know, just the opportunity to hunt a deer like that. It was just, it's just cool, especially on public. And, um, and then I, I located the deer about a week before season, like I said, and, and watched them. I mean, I just went out there every night, watched them doing, doing what we just talked about, though. I actually had a bike, just a little 10-speed bike, and I bought it back in there and um, watch them on the, on the field edge. I, I literally didn't even get off my bike car. I just sat right there and, and yeah. um, that wasn't putting a lot of pressure on them. I, that's, that's what my goal was anyways. And, and, it, and it worked, but it was all successful except for the kill, you know? So. Yeah. Now, now I know in them, uh, I guess uh, your tree stand location, um, were you, I, I, so I know a lot of times I tend to hunt some CRP edges or like, um, hedge rows with crp surrounding and sometimes you can't get very high was this a, a real tree like a basketball round tree or was were you like two sticks high and like wedged into like some tree with crazy branches i guess no i actually had a pretty decent tree that i was in so i i could i was overlooked i could shoot the bean field and, and the crp so the way that the wind locked out that night it was actually blown back in the tent where i was so i had a crosswind that deer came right on the edge of the timber and that crp and he was just just out from where I could shoot him. Um, he stayed he stayed really tight on that CRP. And then I didn't even hear him actually at first. I look over and he's just crossing into the um, so the CRP in the in the beans were split by a, a small wood line, probably ten yards wide. And I finally saw him when he was coming through the wood line. I mean, right in front of me. I couldn't get a shot. And he came out to the field and he actually went out and went away from me. Um, and then the, yeah, I got him to turn around. He came back to me. And then, um, the only shot he gave me was like a frontal shot. And then, then it was, it was game over at that point, you know? So I never did end up taking a shot at him or anything, but it was still a really cool experience. Yeah. Did you see him stand up out of the CRP or did you, I, I guess for our audience painting this picture of this hunt, what kind of distance and, 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 um, I guess another question that popped in was this like gray light, like, you know, you, you hear a lot of people talk about these public bucks. They won't go far until that very, very last bit of light, or, or sometimes they won't even get on their feet in daylight. Tell me a little bit about the time and then kind of distance he was maybe traveling bed to food. It sounds like it was pretty close. It wasn't going far. Talk to me about yeah. that. No, he wasn't going far. I didn't see him step out of his bed. So the way I faced my tree stand was actually um, looking out at the beans, me being a lefty. So I was set up like this where I could shoot them um, on the right side. I mean, I had the CRP right, I was right on the edge. Beans in front of me, CRP, you know, right in behind me. I did not see him step out. And I didn't see him actually until he was all the way to the end of the CRP and okay. stepping in. There was a finger of woods, um, like a chime that sprayed the CRP and the beans. So. I didn't see him until till he was right there. Um, so he could have been bedded right there. I mean, I, I truly have no idea how close he was bedded in that CRP. 
And um, your other question, yeah, it was it was getting pretty late. It was uh, it was still it was still light enough. Um, actually, after the funny part of that story is after that deer came out, went to that middle of that field, and right before dark, him and some does took off running. I'm like, what is going? On? There was a guy, guy with a crossbow sitting in the uh, sitting in the field that Joe he, he was watching that deer too. And oh, I, I never, okay. Never saw him before. He he said he all day. He said he got in there before the morning and sat all day on the ground with the crossbow. Yeah, because he came out walking. I'm like, oh, well, you just scared the deer, you know. I mean, it's yeah. public ground. There's nothing you can do about it. But it is kind of funny that that deer, a lot too, like two guys got in on that little that little field, you know. That's but, wild. But, <laughs> Dude, sitting opening day in <laughs> September, late late September, man. <laughs> yeah, we see that. Um, I guess uh, I think yeah. at this point. Let's uh, let's transition to a, a big Southie. We've referred to him a few times. Um, he's coming out here um, Thursday evening. Talk to me a little bit about when you discovered him. How'd you come up with the name? You got to know that, right? And then, yeah, yeah. I know. I know some scouting played a big role in this, and I, I think you even were scouting with with stand sticks on your back, kind of looking for for. Oh, setup positions because you knew this deer was there and you, you kind of needed to fine tune for 2019 to get on him. So tell me a little bit about finding him and naming him and, and let's go through that process. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. So in 2018, um, right before season came in and the end of August, I actually closed on that property that um, I had Big Southie on. So I closed on it. And then that day I closed on it, I had a, an early season trip to Kansas plan. So I literally closed on it, left for Kansas. Um, well, a couple of days before I closed on it, I got permission from the landowner to get some cameras out because I had to see what was on this piece before I went to Kansas. I couldn't wait until I got back. It was kind of one of those things I've worked out. I'm like, yep, he's like, go ahead. Everything's fine. I wouldn't put some cameras out and, uh, and all that kind of stuff just because I wanted those cameras cooking when I was gone, you know? So I left for Kansas. Um, and then uh, that second night I was in Kansas, I actually killed a pretty good buck out there the second night. Um, but I was getting pictures, you know, from my, from my camera onto my phone. And he's one of the first deer I had on camera. Um, he was this mainframe six by five. Um, he was still pretty tight, like he, like he was in 19. Um, had good brows. And I, I put him probably around 70-ish. Um, so he was, a, he was a tank of a buck. He was a tank of a buck. But I had... Go, go ahead. Yeah, did, did his beams, like, for, for those people, you got to see the photo of this deer and, and definitely watch the episode because, like, it's a pretty cool story. It's probably one of my favorites uh, of the addiction cruise. But this deer's mains be main beams kind of remind me of, like, I don't know, like Edward Scissor's hands. They come, like, all the way around and, and almost, you, you know, from one angle, it looks like they're crisscrossing. Yeah, they actually do overlap, but they don't, they don't touch, but the, the one beam comes up above it. But no, his beams weren't, um, so he had good beams, but no, they didn't, they didn't come up um, and cross at that point. They were probably still four or five inches apart. I would say maybe, maybe a touch more than that. But yeah, so I was getting pictures of him out there. But mind you, in Ohio, I had that a deer I called Junior. Um, he was a 175-inch deer, maybe 180. I don't know exactly, but um, he was he was a tank of a buck too so that was my number one um i had and then this buck showed up so he was my number two actually um is the way it worked out um so i killed that buck in kansas got home um did some glass and never found the deer but i i kept i kept running the uh 
just kept running cameras and I was getting them on camera, getting them on camera. Uh, but he was still my number two. So I put all my, all my eggs early season into, into that other buck. And then, um, didn't get old in, um, mid November, um, right before, I think a week before Thanksgiving, I was hunting the deer hard. And I, at this point I only hunted Southie, um, which he wasn't named then, but I hunted big Southie only once or twice. I, I went out of my farm and did an all, all day sit, I think on the 6th of November and didn't see big Southie, but I saw another really, really good buck. I almost killed a man, a deer that he was, he was there for like a week. Um, almost killed the deer. Um, but I did, I just elected not to do it. It was just right. I was like, man, you know, it was one of those things you, you have to make that split second decision, but I got some pretty good footage of them. Um, and then my, my focus was still on that deer I called junior. So I had an opportunity at junior. Uh, he was showing, he was showing some for a couple of days. So I, I didn't want to waste the opportunity. Got in there, hunted them on, on the low side of my food plot that I had planted. And, um, and on, on a morning said he came in at 20 yards and then you see in the footage that he he just he just looks right up at me man it was heartbreaking because that deer was so cool I, I had to get bucks so bad um so after that happened i knew it was going to get really difficult to kill that buck you get one shot you get one shot i don't care what people say yeah it's it's so it's a hurt up to get to you know but so i knew that it was going to be tough on that deer so i switched my gears a little bit I wanted to start hunting big south at that point. I was like, well, you know, I got another another deer over here. You know, late October, he was super active. Um, November 9th, 10th, he was super active in there. I, I still stayed out. I didn't hunt him, even though he was active, you know, just because I, I didn't want him below the opportunity because, like I said, all, all you have is one shot. If I'd have went in there and, and something would have happened or that deer would have smelled me after I left, I'm, I may not have got a crack at him, so – now you're saying he was active. Is this your, your trail camera data? And if it is, I got to think that really helped you. Oh, really learn this deer, especially considering we go after him here in 2019. So 2018, you said he's lighting up or he's, he's very active late October. And then you said the ninth is 10th ish. Is it, is it yep. all trail cam data or any, anything else I'm missing? Yeah, it's all, it's all trail cam data. So he got real active on, uh, on some scrapes I found, because mind you, I only had the farm for a couple months at that point, so I didn't have that intel from the years past. I didn't do the scouting, which I rely so much on that. So I, I went in blind pretty much, you know. Um, but there was some some scrapes that popped up on those edges, and I just put cameras on those scrapes on the edges that you and I know that aren't aren't the scrapes you're hunting. But I was like, you know, I had to get that intel. I had to get that, that information because I knew just from year to year, if I don't hunt a farm, I still run cameras on them. Even if there's not a buck in there, just, just the possibility of a potential shooter in the coming years or a random buck shows up because they'll show those tendencies year in and year out. So yeah, he got really active late October on some scrapes. Um, and then, uh, man, in November, that um, later part of that first week, the seventh, eighth and then 10th, man, he got really active in there as well. Um, so, but I still, at this point, I was hunting, I was hunting junior and I didn't, I didn't put up on junior until, uh, right before Thanksgiving, I think is when it was. And then, um, I went back in there, um, big Southie, um, after I screwed up on junior and, um, I hunted there one night and it didn't, I, I did see the deer. I saw That's the first time I saw him from the hoof. Um, but he's, uh, he was about 300 yards away, but, but I saw where he stepped out of, there was a huge, it's actually on my neighbor's property, but 
there, there was a um, you know, like a section that was timbered in there. I don't know, maybe ten years ago. So all okay. the trees in there are the size of, size of your thigh kind of thing, you know. I saw him step out of that, so I knew I knew that he was spent a lot of his time. He always came from that direction too. But I'm not, but at this point, I haven't walked that part of my woods. The only time I did is when I literally went in there to see if I wanted to buy the place. Other than that, I didn't walk it again. So I've never been back there essentially, except for when the leaves were on the trees. I had no idea what was there to be honest, except for what maps told me and stuff like that. So I, I was still hesitant to go back in there and hunt them just because there's a lot of them. And, and, and um, I, I just didn't know, like I, I, like I said, I rely so much on that winter scouting. So I still stayed pretty tight um, on, on the food to, food to cover situation, that transition zone, I guess you would say, yeah. um, and on some, some of them closer interior scrapes. Okay. Um, now, I had heard a rumor that Troy Pottinger was a mountain man, was, was, got a chance to hunt this deer. I, did he come late season? I, I don't know the yeah. details. He just joked with me that he had a chance to hunt Big Southie before he yeah. was Big Southie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I was actually almost to that point. So, yeah, so I ended up killing the buck I did um, was actually a buck that showed up on my farm, um, a buck, good, good 10-pointer, and, and you show them in the footage or, or the episode. Um, I killed that deer, and then um, Big Southie was still relative in there, and Trey was flirting with the idea of coming that year because I, I went and did a bear hunt with him. I killed a uh, nice uh, cinnamon-colored bear with him in that, that spring. So he was going to come hunt with, uh, come hunt with me and Justin and, and Steve, if, uh, you know, if we had the room and had, had enough bucks and stuff like that. So, um, and I was like, Hey, I killed my buck. You know, I got, I got these two bucks. One I screwed up on the other one. He, I don't think he's there, you know, or that much anyways, cause he's, he's still there. So Troy bought a ticket, came out. And uh, Troy never did see the deer, but we were getting him on camera some, and uh, that's actually named him Big Southie because um, we kept refer. We didn't know how to refer to him, so I lived two hours away, north of that deer. So, so me and uh, first he was Big South, Big South, and it just didn't have that rhyme, you know, or didn't sound, didn't yeah. roll off the tongue. So, so Big Southie is just kind of so. That's yeah, a great so name. I, that mountain man named him. So yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a great name so talk to i i think uh we should tell the audience about your off-season scouting and, and how that played a role then and you narrowing in the search in 2019 because there's footage yeah. of it you i i've heard you speak about it that it really kind of turned you on to, to what was going on talk to us about that winter scout and what you found yeah so after troy left and after season was over all my attention went into big southie so all my food plot strategy, all that went into it. Well, scouting, like I said, plays a big, a big, uh, a big role in that. So I, a lot of times when I do my scouting, I will have a stand on my back just, just in case if I need to get a stand in there. I, I want to do it now or come back and do it. What one of the two? Um, but I knew, I thought I knew where that deer lived. I knew where he came from, the direction, and I had, I had visual evidence of him stepping. Out. I literally, him step out of that timbered section of woods. And when you get up in there, it's one of those, it's one of those spots that. Um, it's dim and hard to walk and walk through, you know? So, and uh, right on, right on the edge of that is where I found just the biggest rubs I've ever seen. I mean, some of those rubs were the size of my waist, which looking back on it, I couldn't even put his rack around it, you know, with it overlapping in 19. But, um, but you could just see years of, of just, I mean, where they just, where they just absolutely tore it up. So I, I knew it was him because just based on where he came from and all that. So, 
I mean, you know, I had, he had, I had the hub of a wheel figured out where he lived, you know, okay. um, from there, I just wanted to, I just wanted to give him everything he needed. So he didn't have to go far so food and food and shelter and water, you know, so. Now, how many acres are we talking about? Cause your farm isn't huge by any standard. Um, and I know you got a no. little bit of permission in the area, but you don't have like a thousand acres to chase this buck on. Yeah, no, not at all. So, um, we, we, between what I own and my leases, I had about three to 400 acres in that in the main. So, um, you, you know, some of it was open fields too, like cattle pasture, stuff like that. So I don't, I guess I don't really count that as huntable, but you know, um, yeah. I had a sanctuary, a sanctuary in the center of it. So it, it, it's a spot I don't have permission on, but nobody else does either. So that's where a lot of these deer, um, but I have farms that touch it on like four or five different sides, you know, all around it. So I, so I, I kind of pinpointed that on purpose. I wanted to get the access, um, the ground around it, around that, that sanctuary. So that's why, that's why I was able to kill him. Cause I actually didn't kill him on my farm. I killed him on a lease close by. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so, that's, that's a total, that's a total homework assignment from, from trail camera data, off season scouting, getting the permission or, or securing a property with a lease that was in the neighborhood. I mean, that's a, that's three or four things and let alone you, you got to put your, your hunting in to, to get it done. Um, I, I know yeah, spring I spent hours and hours and hours knocking on doors. I mean, every chance I had when I went down there, I would spend two, three hours every day, you know, and I was going on every weekend, you know, just trying to get that access and permission. I was on auditor's website and Google earth nonstop, you know, every tool I, I can imagine, you know, just trying to get permission. And I got a bunch of no's, but I secured, most of the farms I wanted so I got okay. um I'm very fortunate when it comes for sure that I was yeah. able to yeah no and 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 then as far as watching the let's see here I guess did your trail camera data I I'm trying I don't want to I guess I don't want to talk about the film too much because I do want people to watch it but like I know when you killed the deer I believe you got either your your buddy saw him right yeah, so um, I got a picture of him on that farm for the first time the day before I killed him. Okay. So I was doing, I was on my third all-day sit um, in between two big bedding areas over some scrapes, over a scrape line that I knew he focused a lot, a lot of, I mean, tons of his attention on. So it was a matter of time he was going to be there. Out and and my goal at that point was I was gonna be there when he was, you know. I was just gonna, I was just, I was wearing it out at that point. I was bouncing around a little bit, but I stayed, I stayed within that ten acre range. Um, so a, a farm as flies a half mile away. I had over a scrape, and he came through that scrape on on a uh, Friday night, the night before I killed him. First time I got a, ever got a picture of him on that ridge. So. And didn't you kill him on November 9th? Yeah, the ninth. Yeah. Yep. Well, and, and if you back this conversation up about ten minutes, you said your trail cameras lit up the twenty fourth, twenty fifth, and then there was a gap, and then he lit them up like ninth, tenth, eleventh. I think is what you yep. said. And, yep. And, exactly. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, that, it's almost. Yeah, that's kind of cool to see see that year over year thing. I know a uh, a lot of guys are are big on that trend, and 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 clearly you did your homework, and and sure enough, that that buck essentially repeated a yearly pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he absolutely did. He absolutely did. But 
Uh, so I finished my hunt that evening. Then the next day, I didn't have a set over in that, in that spot. I did not want to go in there in the morning and do a hanging hunt. Um, so I, I got back in the stand that morning, the Saturday morning, the day I killed him. And, I, and my plan was to hunt till noon, get down, grab a set or pull that set, go over to that ridge, hang a set and hunt until dark where he was mm-hmm. um, the evening before. Well, I had a good friend in town, Jeremy. He was hunting as well. He already had a set in there from October because um, he came in late October hunting that ridge, put a set in there. I didn't realize he had a set in there. When we were talking about it, I thought he was going to another farm. He ended up going to the farm where Big Southie was the night before. So we were just miscommunicated, you know. Sure. And um, he went in there, had a set. He actually killed a buck that morning, a deer that a was actually buck. on the show. Yeah, an awesome deer. I mean, a deer I would have been happy to, to kill, but just with Big Southie running around, it, it, it wasn't going to happen. But, yeah, so an awesome, awesome buck. And um, that morning, and then right after he killed him, um, just not to spoil everything, but, yeah, here comes Big Southie with a doe walk 35 yards by him. So. Oh, and just awesome. That's all the information I needed. <laughs> yeah, awesome footage because, like, he kind of is out there, and you zoom in, and you get really good footage, especially self-filmed. Um, I would say too the 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 buck that Jeremy kills makes a lot of appearances and and maybe one of my favorite clips ever is is the clip when he picks uh the head up out of the CR or like kind of the meadowy type grass. It, it's just the sun's perfect, the, the rack is shown off, like it, it's a it's a yeah. beautiful clip. There's a lot of good footage in the, the the video coming out Thursday. I definitely would tell people to tune in. Um Mike, to wrap things up here, 2020, do you have any goals, thoughts around your whitetail hunting or you got a buck to chase? Uh, you know, any, uh, any other thoughts? Yeah. So 2020 should be a, a big year. I'm hoping, uh, that deer that had last year that was, that I chased opening day, uh, is back and he's bigger. So, um, yeah, he's still, he's still wow. clean 10. Yeah. So the farm is it's tough it's tough to hunt them but you know that's why we do what we do i mean if it was easy it wouldn't be as fun so yeah. and then and then i got the tag like, like we talked about earlier so um iowa i'll be in zone nine in iowa so northern iowa um i got an awesome farm i've been out there twice this year on it so yeah i got a got a game plan together on it so super excited super excited Man, what the- yeah so yeah. And are you doing that with Troy or did Troy just kind of maybe play guide from a distance on that? No. So I, funny thing is, is I was going to go to Idaho, but they sold out of their, their tags. The first, they're non-residents. The first time they've ever done it this early. So every year they, it's like September, August, September, they sell out. Well, they sold out in um, like June 28th this year. So I had to switch gears. So me and my two brothers were going to Southern Colorado. So okay. Over, over the counter um yeah yeah so just over the counter unit um so yeah it, it should be a lot of fun yeah so i have no idea what i'm doing but <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all right i i have been on one elk hunt and and i swear it, it does make you a tougher whitetail type hunter i feel i think the mental kind of aspect of of, yeah. of of climbing those hills and, and just you know doing doing stuff that really kind of sucks like now like a bad whitetail hunt like where you got to go like up and down valleys or something like that you're like dude this is nothing i'll be there in oh, 45 minutes that's so. it i've been training my butt off so shooting my bow long distance and watching everything i can on, on elk hunt. it's kind of fun again it reminds me of when i first loved whitetail you know when i when i first got that that itch or whatever you know that's kind of how i am with elk hunting so i've been doing all that and 
yeah, it's 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 been a lot of fun so far. So, so I'm hoping to hopefully we can get out there and I don't even care if we kill, you know, it's not about the kill for me. I just hope we get out there and have some fun. Oh see yeah. Some elk. That's awesome, you, man. Well, we'll, hopefully we can we can break down oh some of these uh oh your 2020 hunts hunting out of state what that looks like because I think you know I think that that's a cool aspect and 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 a guy doing an out of state hunt whether public private like the process is is the process and and so yes. you hunting mobile it translates right into it I really Mike I really appreciate you jumping on here talking about relevant stuff from glassing to the buck yeah. encounters, uh, off-season scouting. This has been awesome, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. All right, Mike. We'll have you back on here soon. Guys, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Team Harder and Bucks, we're out.